Hello and welcome to Not To Get Political, the podcast where we look at the world of politics and hope to keep our sanity. Last weekend was the coronation of King Charles III. It was the first coronation in 70 years which saw millions of people tune in to see this historic day. At the same time, protests against the monarchy were happening, asking whether the current financial hardships facing the UK we should really be paying for the coronation and also whether we really need a monarchy at all. The most prominent protest was in London, where protesters found themselves arrested under the government's new anti-protest laws for all manner of reasons. To discuss this with me today is Ben Clinton from Republic, who called for the abolition of the monarchy and argued for a republic to replace it. Ben, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing good at the moment. <laughs> so, how did you get into uh, joining Republic and how did you sort of become anti-monarchy? Well, like, I sort of think about certain stories for how I became a Republican over time. And I always sort of hark all the way back to uh, sort of junior school. And I remember the Jubilee when it happened and we were all sort of ferried out into the school playground to start singing songs about the Queen. And I think like sort of around the age of like, that must have been about nine or 10, when you're just starting to form your first opinions of the world. And I thought, what is this? Why are we, you know, yeah. singing to some, like, and then you start to think, you sort of start to think on basic terms, but all those politics, politicians are elected why aren't they yeah. and that slowly developed into a feeling of republicanism, republicanism over time and i sort of think that's probably one of my first actual political beliefs but with republic i i joined them in uh well i joined them sort of december of last year i originally started organizing in labor for republic who are the republican group in the labor party and through the next few months uh, i'm now employed as their comms officer as well for republic itself and I've been running their social media accounts or the press stuff. It's, you know, it's a really, really good job to be able to get out there, to be able to involve yourselves in these protests and activism, which, you know, you can feel that you're sort of making a difference. It's going, you know, you're always sort of fighting uphill, especially because we know that the polling has been more in the monarchy's direction for years, but now we're starting to see that shift with Charles. Yeah, if you look at if you if you look at polling almost a decade ago, poll support for the monarchy was around seventy five percent according to YouGov, and then now it's averaging at around sixty two percent. During the funeral of the of Majesty of the Queen, it was around sixty eight percent. But I think that was just kind of like the emotive sort of uh, thing. It's interesting you mentioned you're part of Labour for Republic. Um, is there really the the push for the Labour Party to abolish the monarchy? Well, I mean. You know, we're not at Labour for Republic. We obviously view the current sort. Of, we sort of view in the current leadership. We understand that it's very unlikely they're going to jump out and suddenly all become anti-monarchists. But it's important to organise these feelings at a grassroots level. Now we've done polling and we found that uh, Labour Party members are much more likely to support, you know, changes and reforms to the monarchy. Uh, over sixty percent for pay, making them pay tax. We've got really big support for pushing them to actually be included in the Equality Act, which is ridiculous. The monarchy isn't privy to that. They can't, uh, they can openly discriminate in their own workplaces in the royal household. So we know that there's that grassroots support there. And really, it's just about building that because a lot of movements in political parties for sort of these issues in areas starts off with getting that, the membership involved and then building sort of, a, not, not in terms of a trickle down, but more of a trickle up motion to finally getting those ideas discussed at a national level and discussed in you know our shadow cabinets our parliaments etc but i guess that's the thing with uh sort of what you mentioned how sort of ingrained it is um 
it's almost with the with the with monarchies with the monarchy in the UK, but also around the world. It's you know it's part of the culture. It's part of a national identity, particularly for the royal family. When you say the royal family, people immediately assume the British royal family. And so, would it could it be argued that removing the monarchy is almost like an attack on British culture? And given a lot, but I don't think it is. I think British culture you know, should be defined, and I'm saying, like, you know, I'm proud of my country, I'm proud to be British, I'm proud of British culture, personally. That's one thing that a lot of people disingenuously suggest with, with republicanism and that. It's like, oh, you're not patriotic, or you hate your country. Or as Lee Anderson told us today, that we should emigrate out of the UK, which we're not going to be doing. Um, but there's always, that, there's always that sort of perception, but that's not true. I'm proud to be British. I just don't think the idea of having you know, and, and an anti-democratic head of state, a hereditary head of state that has massive amounts of political and monetary power is a good idea. You can be proud of your British values, you can be proud of British culture on separate levels, um, but the, mon the, monarch the monarchy is not something that represents, you know, these values which we've held so dear to our hearts, saying, oh, we're a great liberal democracy, we're X, Y, Z. They do not encourage that. And I think it's more than, it's easy enough, I mean, to be, you know, patriotic to be proud of Britain, but to also be anti-monarchy. It's interesting that you mentioned liberal democracy because one of the fundamental pillars of any liberal democracy is freedom of speech and expression. Now, we saw on the weekend at the coronation, the protests that were going on, and it was almost like that that pillar had been removed. Um, we saw uh, plenty of protesters being arrested for all manner of reasons under the government's uh, new uh, anti-protest laws, which uh, were granted royal assent this week. Um, it almost feels like a bit of a coincidence that um, the week of the coronation, the weekend for the, the week of the coronation, that this legislation is brought into effect. Now, obviously, members of your group were affected by this legislation. Um, I understand that there's only so much that you can say, but with what you can say, could you talk a little bit about that? So the legislation coming through, we, you know, we at the start of the week we heard that they were going to push it through three days before the coronation. With royal assent, also let's let's note royal assent. You know, if we had an elected head of state who respected constitutional powers and respected the freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of protest in the country, they wouldn't have to sign that through. But we heard that come through, and you know, a bit oh Jesus Christ, they're doing this again. And then the Home Office sent us letters to Republicans defining the terms of the act, which in our opinion was just a complete and utter, uh, you know, an utter demonstration of intimidation. They, they wanted to, to, you know, make us step away from the protest, which we're not going to do. We had thousands of people turn up at the protest, even when me and other members were uh, arrested and taken into custody. The fact of the matter is, is that we were still going to go forward with it anyway, and we spent the rest of the week planning. But the thing is with the Public Order Act is that it is a piece of legislation that is profoundly undemocratic. It threatens protest rights in this country, threatens freedom of speech in this country. I personally oppose it, and many in the public do as well, and we want it repealed. Labour for Republic, we want it repealed as well, and we'd actually prefer for Labour Party politicians to come out against it, because it's, it's not a controversial opinion to be against something that's clamping down our democracy. It's, the fact of the matter is, is that the UK is experiencing democratic backsliding, like quite severe democratic backsliding. And, you know, we talk about and we hear about that phrase in terms of sort of the United States under the, with the current Republican Party. We talk about that with you know, Hungary under Orban, Poland under Law and Justice Party, but the UK isn't mentioned in that as much. And I think it's going to start getting mentioned that. The UN Human Rights Chief has criticised the bill 
for clamping down on protest rights, for clamping down on freedom of speech. We've, and this is not just the first, the first instance of this, we've seen the Police Crime Sentencing Bill, which was the, basically the initiator of this. Well, it's a complete crackdown on democratic rights in this country. That was probably the big first big one. We've seen multiple political scandals and corruption in this country. We've seen prime ministers clinging on to the very end, even after breaking ministerial codes. We are facing a situation without a codified constitution, without a head of state that could act as a constitutional guarantor against this, a moment in this country that is profoundly threatening for democracy, completely and utterly threatening for democracy. And it basically leads us in a situation where we are now falling behind our European, our friends in Europe in our democracy index ratings. We're falling behind the Western world. And it's really quite scary. It's stuff like this is things that you'd see in Putin's Russia. It's not things that you associate with Great Britain, which is by some, some standards, people consider the birthplace of sort of liberal democracy, parliamentary democracy. It's, yeah, it's, it's scary. It's interesting that you mentioned um earlier with this i'm trying to think my, my point um so do you so um fuck, lost it um no that was really that was really good um it's interesting that you sort of when you sort of mentioned that you're getting sent these letters um and that there was very much this clear and the mets issued a statement they put it out on twitter um we talked about this on, in our last episode with jay akbar um, where it basically said that their, uh, their tolerance for disruption and protest was going to be low. So it's almost like they warned you um, and you still went ahead. Well, the, the thing is, is that we, for months, and I, I'm not exactly, for months, we liaised with the Met, we liaised with police liaison officers, we contacted the Met, made it clear we have no instance for disruption. You know, you've, see, you've probably seen our protests in York, Liverpool, Milton Keynes, Colchester. We're not a disruptive protest group, we're a peaceful protest group pretty standardised and all of that. Um, and we liaised with them for months on end. We made sure that everything was going to be A-OK, -okay, that we were allowed to do what we were going to do, which did end up happening. We were allowed to do what we were going to do, but muted considering our arrests. Um, and then they just blew that all apart by deciding to return to intern eight of our protesters. Um, and that has completely eroded the trust that we have in the Met to actually act maturely and act in defense of democracy. As I said, you communicate with them for months on end to tell you your, your actions and to make sure there's a good rapport there and that you can you know, have these adult conversations on the day and something that blows it apart. It's utterly ridiculous. Well, it was almost like the, the clampdown started before the work, like before the working day even begun. Um, I remember I was getting ready and I saw, not everything, it was like 8.30, that um, both The Guardian, Telegraph, BBC News, all reporting that protesters were already being arrested um, and uh, being put in the back of police vans. Um, there were a lot of reasons that were that were cited, and a lot of them, I don't know how many you're aware of, I imagine you're probably uh, really aware. Um, let's, uh, let's find some of them. There was one guy who was arrested on suspicion of uh, carrying eggs. I don't know if you heard about this one. Yeah, uh, this was, I don't know if I can comment on okay. right, yeah. charges. So what do you think it is about the British monarchy that attracts so much attention and interest? Well, I think when you've got, you know, a, a group in society Latin grained year after year after year, the idea that they, you know, they have various contacts in the establishment, various contacts in the media, they, you know, employ massive PR teams, spend humongous amounts of public money on their own personal expenses, their own personal events. They have 
all the resources in the world to be able to sit there and to promote their sort of image. And I think, you know, generally people who are very interested in it kind of like the sort of soap drama of the entire thing. You know, at Republic, we don't comment on the personal stuff, but it's obvious that, you know, when you've got all of this PR spin, it's quite easy to feed it into the press and quite easy to get it constantly into sort of people's minds. And, there. and I think people are partially attracted by that, but also it's, you know, it's concerning that we don't have enough criticism in the media sphere. Now, I'm not going to lie, this weekend is actually very good for Republic, because for once... So, you know, I'm not going to lie, this, this weekend has been good for Republic. We've been on the front page of multiple news publications in this country. We've been on the front page of tons abroad, and that's really helped our cause, really helped grow our supporter bases, grow our publicity. But, it, you know, it's not like that all of the time. We need a proper debate in this country, and we need to, that debate be facilitated by people both in the media and the establishment and in my personal opinion when you sit people down you tell them the facts you tell them the figures you give them the concepts of democracy of the idea that we should have an elected head of state opinions change very quickly now when one of my first things when i started working for republic we went to a debate i believe it was highgate union in london and graham who is the ceo we obviously work constantly uh was debating a monarchist there and at the start of the debate, it was the vast majority of people there were, they did sort of a hands up. Do you believe it? it they did it by the sort of like the classic Cambridge Union thing where do you believe in this motion? But the, essentially the question was, do you believe we should have a monarch as a head of state or, or we should have a republic as president as head of state? And the majority of people preferred a monarch. By the end of that debate, and we'd run through the facts, it completely flipped. There was now a super majority of people there who wanted an elective head of state. And I think when you have that, you know, open debate about, you have that free debate, you tell people again, the facts and figures, the alternative that can be there, opinions change very quickly. And I think partially sort of uh, with Charles coming to the throne, he isn't seen, he's seen as much more of an easy target for criticism and controversy because he's been shrouded in that for years with his business dealings, with, you know, some personal matters, with his sort of hypocrisy on the environmental issues. And I think that debate has started to thrust uh, these facts and these figures into the public sphere. And that possibly is, in my opinion, feeding into a rising support for Republicanism. Like we've seen for this year, we've seen Savannah polling on the question of sort of monarchy versus republic. It's, it's now about 55 to 30%, which is, you know, a near third of the country are now outward Republicans. And now we've seen in a recent ITV and Savannah poll, uh, when it was just a straight question, do you support or don't you support the monarchy? 52% supported, 48% didn't support. Yeah, 52-48 split has always been dangerous in this country. Though, yeah, that's what, we, we, we saw the poll, we went, wait, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, a cursed, uh, it's a cursed percentage in this country. But let's, let's look at the facts and figures. So the royal family is estimated to bring in £1.8 billion to this country in tourism and other factors. Would abolition have a negative effect on the UK economy? Well, a lot of the time that figure is quoted and thrown in our faces, but Republic, we've done some research on this. Now, first of all, we found out that initial figures by Visit Britain, where they said hundreds of millions from tourism, Republic uh, did freedom of information requests, they did inquiries to Visit Britain themselves. Eventually, Visit Britain admitted it was a lie, it was a fabrication. They had no, they had no actual empirical evidence to base that on. And then we sort of look at the idea, a lot of that, a lot of that sort of 1.8 billion is often moved in from 
sources of royal revenue. And sources of royal revenue includes their palaces, Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, St. James's Palace, and their royal parks. But the thing is, that isn't a direct link of the royals. If we look at places who don't have a monarchy anymore, but still have sort of uh, historical sites that have strong relations to the royal, for example, probably the biggest example is France, with the Palace of Versailles, they're a massive tourist attraction. You know, they have millions of visitors each year. It's iconic. The fact of the matter is, is that people aren't coming to these attractions to see the royals because the royals aren't there most of the time when they're out somewhere else. Alternatively, they're just hiding in the, you know, their sleeping quarters. But um, people come there because of the history and people come there to see the buildings, to see the attractions. And they don't come there to see the royals. If the royals weren't there, people would still be there and they'd still be making that money. It's not because of the royals that that money is there. It's because of the physical location, the physical things. And I think also when we talk about generally the economy, Charles has a wealth of uh, estimated in the recent Guardian articles of 1.8 billion. None of that is taxed. He takes money out of the duchies each year. He takes money out of the duchies of Cornwall. Uh, his family take money out of the other duchies. Uh, that money should be in public hands. It's not going to the public hands. We could be using that on improving our public services. You know, people in a cost of living crisis, people are choosing between heating and eating. People, you know, are in really desperate times, but we're still splashing the cash on the royals and we're getting no tax revenue from that. We're getting no, like, you know, blowback to our public services from that. They, they are allowed to keep all of that money. And really the difference in their sort of tourism figures, et cetera, isn't negligible enough to consider them a good, financial product and at the same time we don't know the full extent of that because we can't freedom of information request most of the stuff of roles are involved with because they're not privy to the freedom of information request, uh, freedom of information act so we don't actually know the true extent of either their wealth or their cost to the country so at the moment sort of economically i don't think they're in any way beneficial and we won't be able to know that until other things like foi is finally extended to them but with the royal family, they have very extensive charity networks. They're very uh, sort of keen to be seen to be giving back. If you look at um, with King Charles, for example, uh, the coronation, he gave a very um, hefty sum of money to food banks and other charities. Um, Prince uh, William and Princess Kate have also visited food banks and also sort of shown their support. So there is clearly that element that they are sort of giving back to the country, would you not say? No, because, for example, the food banks, especially with William and Kate, have made a big palaver of going to them recent weeks often that is only a short drive from their residence in Windsor the fact of the matter is is that we can say they have these charitable donations but we gain a lot more revenue if we tax them we put them back into public works and at the same time you know we also talk about the Prince's Trust and when Charles was Prince of Wales that uh, sort of thing but that hasn't endeared him to young people young people now support a republic and overwhelmingly, just on a straight don't support support question, overwhelmingly don't support the monarchy. It hasn't proved well for him. And it's not to say that some of the stuff the charity has done isn't good. Of course, it has helped a lot of people. But at the same time, we could be we could be directly funding that with Charles's own person taxing Charles's own personal income and his own wealth instead of having to rely on charity for it. And I think, you know, also we have situations where they try and claim, especially with Charles, that he is some sort of environmental crusader, which is nonsense. He, him and Camilla's carbon footprint is 40 times that of the average UK citizen. And also, we don't know the full extent of that because that is only on public trips. They're very happy to fly across a few miles on a helicopter of massive amounts of emissions, 
but at the same time they're still trying to claim that they're some sort of you know green revolutionaries which is nonsense pretty much so it's interesting you mentioned young people and lack of support for the monarchy what do you think has um contributed to that lack of support well i think in, in my opinion and usually we go back when when they sort of ask even generally about why you're opposed to the monarchy i always quote democracy and equality and i think for young people at the moment living in a country that has a fragile democracy living in a country where economic and social inequalities are exacerbated massively compared to our neighbors in europe compared to the rest of the western world we're having cost of living crisis i think people look at the monarchy uh, a symbol of, sort of anti-democratic rule people look at the monarchy a symbol of you know economic injustice with their massive amounts of wealth that aren't taxed their massive amounts of wealth that they use to con- try and control public opinion and people are opposed to that and young people who we're now seeing increasingly getting involved constantly in activism and i know just from being at our protests we're getting more and more young people it draws them to these ideals of reform and i'm not going to say radical because i don't think it's radical at all that we want a properly democratically elected head of state that that phrase gets thrown about us at all times well that we you know some sort of radical revolutionary society no we just want to be able to elect our head of state which by any liberal democracy you should surely be able to do in some way shape or form but again that idea of being able to reform the you know the prime conditions of our of, you know, living in this country i said our democratic rights and our economic rights i think that attracts young people who again are feeling increasingly uncertain about the future so let's look at that reform how would it look how would the uk look let's say the, the monarchy is gone it's been abolished how would the uk be reformed so republic we we have a few broad points on that firstly and another thing, I always refer back to the idea of people throwing around accusations, but a lot of people go, well, you just want, you just want President Johnson or Blair or Sunak or Starmer. But that's not what we want in the Republic. We want an elected head of state in a parliamentary system. We still believe that the, that party is best when Parliament, a large group of voices, decides on the laws and decides on sort of our, our direction as a country politically. But a head of state should be there to be a constitutional guarantor, should represent you on, her, on the world stage and should provide guidance for the nation, all of which Charles didn't do. So having a parliamentary republic, which is much like Ireland, which is much like Iceland, which is much like multiple other uh, republics in Europe and in the rest of the world, in our opinion, is a much better idea because we can look at opinion polling in those countries, usually parliamentary republics, the head of states are much better supported than um, republics that are sort of more uh, clearly defined for a head of state and head of government combined, so a president like America, which again we don't think is a good idea because we obviously see centralisation of power, but that's less democracy, not more. So yeah, we'd have a parliamentary republic, prime minister would still be the head of government, we'd still have uh, the MPs making the majority of the decisions, but the president would be a person who could command public support for a democratically elected head of state, wouldn't have the massive exemptions that the royals have to do with you know equalities laws to do with paying their taxes and at the same time would be able again command that public support and you know guarantee our democracy it's interesting that you mentioned with uh, sort of public support and a figure of national unity if you look at what's going on in france for example with uh, macron's um, uh, forcing through pension reforms which have been met by widespread protests around france how would you um sort of anticipate that 
Well, I think, again, France is an example of, you know, a republic, a constitution which we don't entirely agree because it's a semi-presidential republic. Although the presidents have as many powers as, let's say, a presidential republic like America, um, he still has those powers to, you know, push through laws without, uh, without a parliamentary vote, which obviously ignited the penchant for protests in France. Um, so again, that, that, puts, that puts our sort of idea of the president as a guarantor of constitutional safety uh, as, as a very important facet of, you know, one of a sort of British republic. You shouldn't be able to force bills through parliament, neither should the president be able to uh, just put laws down and without a parliamentary vote. And that's the hope is that, you know, in a British republic, we'd have someone who was an expert constitutionally or someone who had, you know, strong... Uh, strong reputations of working really constructively with, pol with political groupings etc and again that's something that Charles doesn't do because he just signs into law anything basically the government says there's no sort of second look at okay what does this do to our constitution what does this do to our unity of this country and at the same time again denies us the chance to be able to hold him accountable for any of his actions. So it's interesting that you um, sort of mentioned with Sort of creating a president now we've seen with many sort of uh, inauguration ceremonies for example there are these big lavish displays you think of the ones that go on in the us france for example they're incredibly costly would you um arguably probably maybe cost more than the uh, than the coronation than the events like the coronation would considering say in the us they're typically every four to eight years um how would you um deal with that because clearly the money with the coronation has been the big issue with a with having a republic, there would still be that ceremony. So, would it be a stripped down ceremony? Would it be it still be at the same level? How would you anticipate that? Well, you know, a, a, an inauguration of a new head of state doesn't have to be a pomp ceremony, pomp and pageantry. It can literally just be as simple as signing a document and you know proclaiming whatever an oath to the people of this country. Which again, Charles was asking us to say an oath to him rather than him, you know, serving us, which is another thing that I'm sure we'll discuss. But we don't have to have a ceremony that costs 250 million as parades come from central London that you know, takes off loads of TV and police time. It's just, it's pointless. You should just have a simple, you're the president now, sign here, etc. The, the fact of the matter is, is again... Um, but is that not, you know, the, 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 sort of the, does that not reduce the glamour with the, the pomp and pageantry that we have? In the, I mean, I, I say this as someone who... Definitely in the last year, is sort of my views on the monarchy have changed. But I, I even still, as someone who would perhaps consider themselves an abolitionist, I can look at the, the pomp and the pageantry and think this is you know, quite splendid. It's quite something. It's quite something to, to revel at. Would to remove that? Would that not be um, sort of re sort of re redefining our culture? But I, yeah, I don't. You know, a coronation comes out every seventy years. No, it has done the last seventy years. But the fact of the matter is, is that not every king or queen in this country has had a coronation. It's not a constitutional requirement in any way whatsoever. It's just a way to put their own personal vanity parade out there and to promote their brand. Uh, I, again, I don't think that people are massively, you know, massively interested in the were massively interested in the coronation. We've looked at polling and seen that only fifteen percent of the public are very interested in it. And again, I don't think in the future that that having that giant sort of explosion of ceremony that spends so much public money and wastes so much public time is a necessary thing. I don't think that the vast majority of the population will look at it and think, oh God, we're missing out on that. 
because the vast majority of the population didn't watch the coronation. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the viewing figures averaged at around, what, 13, ele- between 11 to 13 million yeah. people, which I was yeah. I was quite surprised by, because when I put the script in, I obviously wrote this before um, we knew the figures, so, and I put billions down, and then actually when I saw it, I was like, got to scrap that, we've got to get rid of it. Yeah. Which sort of yeah, surprised it, me. I think the way they sort of talked up the event. If we were to have a republic, what happens to the remaining royals? Well, I think it's it's pretty clear, you know, that we're not going to go in and start see if their property, the property that they own, so uh, they can keep. Um, they would obviously be taxed properly on it now. The, uh, the palaces and the grounds which are in public hands, but they occupy, should be in public hands. You know, we should have Buckingham Palace, for example. It should become, a, you know, it's a historical attraction. It's something that the people of this country should be able to enjoy. And it would be as simple as that. I, I'm sure, obviously, you know, I can't, wouldn't go into sort of the finer details of negotiations or our giant constitutional settlement off of it. But the whole, you know, the whole idea is that the rules can continue to have, you know, they can continue to exist. We're not going to tell them like that you can't be in the country. You're you're citizens of this country still. But we want to be able to have public uh, attractions in public hands. We want to be able to have, again, our politics ruled by the people, not by a hereditary family. And it would move on from there, basically. There's a, there was a running joke on TikTok or trend over the last week or so of what people would want to turn Buckingham Palace into. So some of the examples that were given were a Weatherspoons. Um, someone suggested a library, which I thought was you know, pretty weird. Um, uh, what else was there? Um, no, I do like libraries. I just want to make that clear. Um, what else is there? A golf course as well, like a giant soft play center, that sort of thing. Crazy um, golf club, yeah. yeah. What would you What would you want to see Buckingham Palace like turned into if that was an option? I don't think I'd want it turned into a spoons, to be honest. Weather spoons. Are you not a support? Do you not support the local? Are you not? Uh, no, I like. No, I said I wouldn't want it to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just I just want it to be you know as it as it should be again in, in public hands and to be an area where people can enjoy, people can look into the history of everything. People can, you know, walk around the grounds and admire the architecture. So if you like that architecture, it, you know, it, it should be there to make money for our public services through admission fees, etc. It should be there free for all to enjoy. It's as simple as that. And yeah, I, I don't think putting a, uh, Wimsmoon's bar and be too great of an idea. I also think it would be a bit unfortunate on the waiters having to go out yeah. of square feet. <laughs> you could make it a national trust place if you wanted to really, if you really wanted to grow the UK economy, you just put a tea room in there. And oh, yeah. Considering the price of like the scones and the jam, that's how you get people. <laughs> yeah, you could you could charge fifteen pounds for scones and jam. And- people would pay for it. You say, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're there at the end of the tour and you look in and you go, ah, oh, go on then. And then <laughs> before you know it, you've blown thirty. Quid. No, we, the country would be bouncing. Um, ben, before you go, I just want to say thank you for, for coming on. It's been really great speaking to you. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote? How do people, if they are sick and tired of the British royal family and the monarchy in general, and they want a, a clean slate, how how does one go about joining your organisation? Just go over republic.org.uk. I've got a little tab where you can join. In the last few days, you know, obviously... It was very unfortunate what happened, but our membership has grown massively. So that has really helped us. And we're building a movement. We're keeping the momentum going. Uh, we are going to be still be protesting where Charles turns up. We're going to be creating local groups. And we're really going to be, you know, pushing forward to make this a big, big movement in this country. 
So join join up, and uh, we'd love for you to get involved in the future. This republic.org.uk, and also I'm going to plug Labour for Republic if you're a Labour member, because I'm the campaign coordinator for them. Labour for Republic.org.uk. If you're a member of the Labour Party and you're a Republican as well, you can join for as little as a pound a month, and you can support our activities like getting motion sent to conference and campaigning. So yeah. Just out, just out of interest, from the day of the coronation to um, to now, how much has your movement grown by in terms of numbers? Uh, we're looking at the at the moment a couple thousand have, have actually joined. Uh, it's been tremendous, and like being able to logging onto Twitter and seeing like hundreds of messages of support and solidarity, it's just. It does warm your heart. <laughs> that was that was one thing that I, I've seen, like with, with Twitter and the discourse. And obviously, um, this weekend, um, Premier League uh, clubs um, across football clubs across the UK were uh, were t- uh, were asked to sort of play. I don't know if they were asked, but they played the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, in Liverpool, um, the Liverpool fans didn't exactly respond too well to that. And I say that as a Liverpool fan, um, and all power to them, really. Um, they booed the anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think uh, stuff like that is sort of helpful to Republican movements, or do kind of does it help? Does it help the allegations that you guys don't like this country? I don't think it. Does. I don't think it make it portrays us not liking this country. I think the people, the Liverpool fans, have more than a right to uh, boo it. The fact of the matter is, is that we need to protect freedom of speech in this country, and if you oppose the monarchy, you can do that, and that's what we, you know, we should. You know, there'll be people who criticise it. But that's part of freedom of speech. You can criticise it and they can do that as well. And that's what needs to be protected and has been threatened with these public order bills and these acts. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a Spurs fan. So I didn't oh, I'm sorry to hear that. When I was inside. But um, yeah, I, yeah I, I think they should be able to allow, allowed to have their own personal freedom of speech. And that is part of it. Yeah, when I started watching the game and I saw all the booing, I knew the right people are going to be absolutely frothing at the moment. Uh, the, the blue tick. And you win one nil, so it's the uh, you know the, it's the boo and the anthem bounce, and that's what we like to see. It's not Trent <laughs> playing in an invert as an inverted fullback. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's that bounce. Ben, thank you for um, Ben. Thank you for coming on. Um, it's been really great to have you. And uh, yeah, please check out their organisation. And to all of you uh, listening, please stay safe, stay informed, and we will see you for the next episode. Thank you.